your Bibles to John 15. We're looking this month at our mission statement of people of grace, renewed to serve our community and our world. It is. And last week we uh, saw what it means to be a people of grace. And today what I want to do is I want to look at just one word, the word renew. Renew. Now renew has this, uh, some people may want to say being renewed, probably be a better word, or renewing would be a good word to use. Um, renewed has a sense of finality to it. The kind of finality comes from a process. And so it can be misunderstood to say that what we're trying to say is that once someone is renewed, there's no more renewing that's needed. That's not what we're trying to say. We're using the word renewed to talk about a process that always precedes service. You don't just serve once, you serve ongoing. If being a people of grace is our identity and the foundation of our mission, then renewed is the ongoing reality by which we grow in our understanding of our identity and our mission. I can put it this way. Renewed is the word. It's the necessary link when we talk about our identity from our, from our, talking about our identity, we're talking about our activity. We're a people of grace, serving our community and our world. We need to be renewed. One cannot serve the community until they embark on a process of being renewed by the Spirit of Lord Jesus, we come this morning into your presence as we have just sung in prayer. And, uh, Lord, that you would come and bless your people. Renew us by the word. Renew us by your spirit. Remind us, Father, of your great love for us. Renew us, Father, in your love through trials and afflictions. But, but draw us close to Jesus. We ask you. Talking about renewal, we, Jesus provides what I think is an image of renewal in John chapter 15, the first eight verses. If you have a Bible, look at that if you will. Says I, he starts off by saying, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, 
If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This ends the reading of God's perfect inspired narrative. Now Jesus uses here an imagery of a vine under the care of a vine dresser. If I may state the obvious, a vine dresser has one goal for his vine, and that's to produce fruit for him to enjoy. Even on a healthy vine, the branches need to be pruned. Good branches can produce better fruit when pruned. Talk about that a little bit. Some branches are just dead weight and should be cut off so that the nutrients of the vine can be committed to other branches so that there's more room for the healthy branches to grow. The more a branch draws its nutrients from the vine, the healthier it will be. Now, a branch cannot produce fruit by itself, it needs the vine to really do the work. It needs a vine dresser to tend to it. That's the image. Now notice how Jesus identifies who is what. Okay, now this might sound a little easy, but if you look at the text, he identifies at least three people. The Father is the vine dresser. Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. Sounds obvious, doesn't it? That's what it says. Until we start trying to live the Christian life, then we try. Then we tend to forget, or we confuse the role. We get to thinking that we have the power to grow in grace on our own. We see what God calls us to do, and we say. I can do that. No problem. And we get to believing that the task of changing communities can be accomplished by just strategic planning. We think that making disciples is all about the right use of techniques or character formation is primarily about adopting a Nike slogan, just do it. You know, we're told, have you heard this phrase? But if you repeat an action long enough, it becomes a habit. But if you're like me, maybe you're hopefully holier than me in this, but I just found that that doesn't work as easy for virtues as it does for vices. You know what I mean? And we think that somehow we're the vine. But Jesus reminds us, apart from me, you can do nada, zilch, zero. The Christian life, my friends, isn't difficult. All right, let's just eliminate that. It's not hard. It's not difficult. It's not strenuous. It's impossible. Okay? The character of Christ is not something you can simply work at by 
door. But that's not the point. Following Jesus, as we heard last week, is about being in a relationship. It's about being united to Jesus as your life gives. Now, it's not just that we think we're divine. You know, okay, that's, that's one problem we have. Sometimes we, we confuse the roles. We think we're divine. But sometimes we think that we're not being renewed the way we think we should be. You know what I mean? I'm not growing in this Christian life the way I think I should be doing. And so we start to look for other vines to attach ourselves to, hoping that we can grow in them. For some, we look at religious gurus or a new spiritual fad in the church, thinking, oh yeah, if we just switch ourselves to that, we'll grow. We think, wondering if the way out of the spiritual desert will be found there. Some of us latch on to relationships like our marriage, our children, our, our, our work, our education, even being a church member. You know, some of us, we try to latch on to our health or our financial stability, and, and we think that will secure our growth. If only I didn't have all these problems in my life, then I could really spend time focusing on my walk. Let me ask you, try to ask yourself this question. If you understand about the false vine in your life, ask yourself this question. What things do I look for? Or what things do I look to for my well-being? What things do I look to for my well-being? What do I hope will make me feel alive? Even if you've been following Jesus, ask yourself these things because you may have slipped into substituting Jesus with another vine. Often the vines we run to can be something from our past. Something familiar, whether it's good or bad. Jesus called himself in verse 1, what? The true vine. Because he was contrasting himself with what his disciples were used to. You have to think, as a disciple, these 12 guys, they were used to knowing about Israel and being Jewish and everything that had to do with following God in the Jewish style. You know, not the Gangnam style, but the Jewish style. Okay? But that was how you grew in your walk. In fact, God even said that in Isaiah chapter 5. He said, My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. He expected it to yield grapes. It yielded wild grapes. God's plan of transformation was and through his people, the Jews. But the nation failed to be a reliable vine. Their temple, their priests, their prophets, their kings all failed to produce the renewal of this world that God was looking for. And so in contrast to Israel, Jesus, the true Israel, the true Jew, he stands in as the true vine, the vine that can be counted on Produce a great harvest for the vine dressers. It would have been very difficult 
for these disciples to simply replace their familiar ways of being human, following Jesus. Their old body was everything that was rooted to identity. They were identified as being the people of God by being rooted in an old system. But this is exactly what Jesus demands from his disciples then and now. You simply can't add Jesus to your old vine. You can't simply add him to your old ways of living. He must replace your non-fruit-producing good if you will enjoy his abundant best. You've got to get rid of what's good in your life that isn't producing any fruit if you really want to enjoy God's abundant best. A false vine will never get you to the place of real renewal. Now the problem with false vines is that they seem to offer the very same things as a true vine. You know, and some of them are not bad. And you know what? That makes sense. Because Jesus is often the fulfillment but all these other vines point to. Jesus is the true vine in comparison to Israel because Israel simply pointed to Jesus as the chosen one. Let me give you some modern examples. That is a wonderful symbol of our intimacy with and our joy in God, but it can never really satisfy. Only Jesus can offer the eternal joy and pleasure sex can never guarantee. Ministry can offer a great sense of community, can offer a great sense of purpose. But ministry can't give what Jesus can give, a deep friendship with God. Alcohol and drugs promise escape from pain, a calming of nerves, or a place to hide. But they really can't make good on their claims. Only Jesus can give you real peace, even in your pain. And only He can hide you from the attacks of the devil. Social media. It promises to keep you connected to the world. But it creates a culture of lonely people who feel the need to be heard. He's got a Yet Jesus offers fellowship with the God who made you, and He hears you when you cry. Whatever your false vine is, it will always fall short of being able to deliver what the true vine can give. Your soul will not be renewed by any other source than Jesus. And so the first thing in renewal is you've got to remember who the true vine is. You've got to remember who that true us, it's not our good things, and it's not our temptations. And so the question must be raised, well, how are we renewed by Jesus? Is this some mystic process where we simply sit back and let the divine nature zap or ooze into us? No. Jesus tells us what the sap is that renews our lives. He calls it his word. It's by the word 
that Jesus says in verse 3 that we are already made clean. Jesus seems to equate in this chapter abiding in him with abiding with his, in his word. You can't be united to Christ without drawing life from the word of the Spirit. That's the Bible. We were grafted into the vine by God's word. James reminds us that we were born by the word of truth. We had to trust and obey the promises of Scripture. God's demonstrating His power to work in us what is pleasing in His sight. Good fruit. And so the source of our renewal is Jesus. But the fuel of that renewal is the Bible. That's so important. See, you can't expect your friendship with Jesus to grow if you don't spend time with When Jesus wraps up this discussion in chapter 15, which is what we read, by, he wraps it up by talking about prayer. And he makes this blanket promise. Ask for whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Sounds audacious. But he prefaces that. He says something right before it. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you. Then ask for whatever you want. Live in my word. Soak in it. Have your heart and mind renewed by my word. Make my goals your desire. Make the character of God your main ambition. If your heart is renewed in that direction, then I know that whatever you ask, my Father will do, because your desires will be His desires. What a disciple abiding in Christ wants will be very different from a so-called Christian who doesn't know God's Word. There's a vast difference from clicking a like Jesus on your Facebook to knowing Jesus. Big difference. Big difference from having Him on your T-shirt having Him in your heart. Abiding in the Word is not simply knowing the Bible. A lot of people in this room probably know the Bible, but you may not be committed to following it and do it. Abiding in the Word means that the Bible is your home. Let me say that again. Abiding in the Word means that the Bible is your home. You're comfortable. Not in the sense that you're like, well, whatever. But in the sense that you're familiar with it. It gives you some peace. It's where you're happy. You find your joy and your peace in meditating on Scripture. A renewed people of grace are committed to living out Scripture. We've been cleansed by the Word and we're sustained by the Word. You can't expect to be a healthy, growing, fruitful branch if your soul is not renewed daily by Scripture. And here at New Life, our vision is to develop committed disciples who love the Word of God, who are hungry for God's Word, who strive with God's grace to live by it. They know they've been conformed to this world's ways of thinking for too long. They know that their worldview is tainted by lies. 
They know their preferences. We know that our beliefs, we know that our personal practices need to be changed. And that only comes by soaking in While knowing the Bible doesn't guarantee renewal, let me say again, while knowing it, just being able to read it and know it will not guarantee renewal. I guarantee you, not knowing it will never bring you. Okay? Not knowing the Bible guarantees you will not be renewed. How can you say you strive to obey God if you don't even know the Ten Commandments? Knowing the Ten Commandments won't make me a holier person. No, but not knowing it doesn't get you further. How can you say you pray according to God's will if you don't even know what His will is in the Bible? You say, Lord, show me your will. He says, I can't. Lord, what do you want me to do? Okay, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble. I'm getting off script. Okay. The will of God, especially for you who are younger, the will of God is rarely about what you do. It's more about who you are. You be the right you, and whatever you do will be the will of God. You be the right you. Whatever you do will be the will of God. He will guide you, and you will ask for direction, and he will make it clear. But he is more concerned about you being the right you than about doing what you think you need to do. Who do I marry? Lord, it's not about who you marry. It's not about who I marry. It's about me being the right man or right woman that God would want somebody else to marry, for me to marry. You get it? This means making hard decisions in how you spend your time. Too many of us are addicted to good things. I'm, I'm telling you, these are that rob us of time with Jesus. We spend a lot of time on Facebook, on Twitter, or with friends, or in work, or in our studies, or watching TV, or watching movies, and drugs. But we give little to no time in the Word. And we wonder why our lives are not changed. We make excuses saying, well, you know, it's not wrong to watch TV or to relax or view Facebook and, or work or study. Okay, that's true. But it's wrong to be abiding in these occasions at the expense of abiding. It may be okay to have a sweet once a day, but not at the expense of a healthy meal. So I want to encourage you to spend some time each day in the Word. Not an hour. Okay, you got time? An hour straight. Make it more than what you're doing now. Not just reading it, meditating on it. And it doesn't stop there. We need to not only know the word, we need to obey the word. In John 13, John Jesus said this: If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. What you really believe, let me tell you this: what you really, really, truly, deeply down inside that inside part of you really believe is shown by what you know. It's shown by how you live. Belief is more than that. We're not just brains. Trust me. 
love will be what you believe and will shape how you live. This is why a lot of us struggle with the Bible, because sometimes it challenges on the things that we really love. And so we make decisions and we interpret the scripture so it doesn't it winds up agreeing with what we really want. Let's be honest, we twist the Bible. Having the word abiding you is about allowing it to affect your decisions and your affections, your heart. It's allowing God's promises to shape how you view and love others, especially those who are hardest to love. You can't say you know God if, if you follow the rules and read the Bible, but you don't take time to be a neighbor to someone in need. How can you say you love God? There's no blessing in your knowledge. When you abide in the Word, Jesus does something remarkable. Your heart and your smile begin to reflect His. Jesus isn't some dry, stuffed up kind of like, you know, mad person. He's got a smile. And people begin to see Jesus in you. You know, both Jesus and the Pharisees knew the Bible very well. But Jesus lived the spirit of it. And people saw that. They saw God in him because he abided in the word. He was the word. Abiding in the word isn't a means, isn't meant to be a badge you show others. It's, a, it's the sap that courses through you that others don't see, but it produces a fruit that others can enjoy. Branches, let me put it this way. Branches don't bear fruit to just keep them Okay. Look at my holiness fruit. Look at that. I'm such a good, I'm a good friend. Don't touch my fruit. No. It's meant to be enjoyed. True holiness, true fruit is what other people do. Oh, I can't wait. It's a good look and understanding. Not only do we need to be to remember who the true vine is, and not only do we need to abide in the vine, but we need to trust the work of the vine dresser. Now, a good vine dresser knows that pruning is an important part of maintaining a healthy, balanced diet. No, a healthy and fruitful vine. If you don't prune, the vine will still grow. Okay, let's get rid of that myth. You don't prune it, it won't grow. No, it will grow. But, and it will produce more fruit. But it will be producing more fruit than it can really bear. It won't have the energy it needs to nourish the wood during the winter, and much of the fruit that it produces will be useless. And to avoid that, the vine dresser prunes. He takes a sharp tool and he cuts off parts of each branch. And that will help the vine maintain its balance, it will give it proper direction for growth, it will ensure more enjoyable fruit for years to come. And when the vine dresser prunes the vine, it's not because he doesn't like the vine. On the contrary, he loves it. And he wants it to be its best. But let's face it. Pruning is not fun for the branch on the other end of that rope. Imagine if that branch could talk. 
This isn't some sadistic deity who's just willy-nilly wants to make you suffer going, ah, I got you. This is your father. So as the catechism says, we'll turn every, turn for my good, whatever adversity you decide to turn Your father desires the best for you, even if that means taking away your cherished good and not caving into your temper. Remember the heart of your Father. He is for you. He's not against you. He wants to form His best in you. And not simply let you be satisfied with your best. The Father is pruning you because He loves Jesus, who is the true Father. It's not even about you. It's about Jesus. If you're in Him and He's in you... He wants to glorify His Son, and that means making sure you're producing good fruit for others. The failures, the setbacks, the hardships are all the means by which you're being renewed, ironically. One of my favorite childhood movies, that, not my childhood, but my children's childhood, is Meet the Robinson. Have you seen that? Anybody seen Meet the Robinson? Very cute. Okay, you got to watch it. It's a, it's about, it's a Disney movie, it's about, it's an orphaned genius named Louis, who winds up traveling to the future to meet his future family. And in one scene, and he's an inventor, he's an inventor kind of, and he, and he gets older, he becomes a great inventor. And in one scene, he's asked to fix an invention that makes peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, like, where the peanut butter isn't too much and the jelly isn't all over the place, it's just a perfect blend of peanut butter and jelly all over and, and so he's trying to fix it, and it explodes all over the place, and, and, and he fails, and the machine explodes, and the family erupts in applause. All right! Woo-hoo! That was terrific! And Lewis is like, oh, no. What does one of the ants say? Ah, it's for your failures you learn. Success? Eh, not so much. The important thing is this. Keep moving forward. Lewis 
Paulus experiences what followers of Christ need to learn. That heaven is rejoicing in your failures. Because through them, you are being positioned to be renewed by grace and grow and bear more fruit for the kingdom. You really got to believe that. In God's economy, renewal is not measured by the size of your ministry, the level of income, the flow of ministry, or even the impact on the community. Just like a vine dresser is unimpressed with the abundant but bad fruit of an untended vine, God is not impressed with all your activity and all your prosperity and all your activity and action. If it isn't directed and shaped and driven by a sincere love for God and others from a heart of self of self-forgetfulness and informed by the character of his word, your work for him means nothing. Success is found in quality. Success is measured by the growth of Christ's character, the depth of devotion people give to Jesus, and the level at which people learn to live from God's God. Are you growing in that God's God? And if appreciation, are you appreciating His deep likeness? Is He the likeness? The fruit He's looking for is more in your love of just being with Him than in being for Him. The fruit He wants is fruit born from a relationship that's rejoicing more in the vine and less in the fruit. He said again, you've got to be rejoicing more in the vine and less in your fruit. You diminish your ability to produce fruit when you're looking for fruit. When you're trying to give an appearance of fruit. And so you start stapling plastic fruit. Look what I did. You grow best when you're looking at the body. You grow best when you're looking at the body. You can't grow in your walk with Jesus without painful pruning. God revives our passion by bringing us through pruning. It's how God applies the truth from His Word into your life. I know about suffering because I read about it in First Peter. God's like, hmm, not quite yet. Let me take you through something to understand what First Peter is trying to say. Oh, okay. Pruning seasons are those times when you discover how much you really are conformed by the Word and how much you still need to grow. God's pruning seasons reveal how much you are abiding in Christ. And you know what? It's a good thing. It exposes the false vines you're still clinging to. They expose those areas where you're worshiping God for God. Where are you using him for the blessings? Mike is talking about. Remember what Mike said? Do you worship God only when things are going well? Or are you willing to worship him when you're pruning? And rather than cause you to doubt his love for you, pruning is meant to draw you closer to Jesus than before. It, it prepares you to know God more intimately. It's through your pruning that you know God better. Success can't so much. Pruning is God's way of reminding you that the ministry that you are called to does not depend on you. 
It is God's way of encouraging you to lean on His power and bless on this time. Consider Moses. I love Moses. Good old Moses. He was a man of considerable power and gifts. He was committed to social justice. He saw his people being oppressed, and he heard their cries to God for deliverance. And so he took it upon himself to answer their prayers. What was his plan? I'll just kill one Egyptian. And it's it. That didn't work. Instead of people being freed, Moses was forced to flee. And for 40 years, he was a nobody. He was tending sheep on the back end of the desert. God was pruning him, taking that passion, taking that zeal, and shaping it until the time was ripe. And when Moses was 80, when his ministry started. And some of you are in retirement, you're not even 80 yet. When he was 80, God called him and sent him back to Egypt to set the Hebrews free. What was the difference? What did God say? I will be with you. Abide in me. I instead of doing this on your own, you're going to do it as my tool for my glory. And what happened later when God delivered his people out of Egypt? He directed Moses and the people to camp at the Red Sea. And then what does he do next? He hardens Pharaoh's heart. And he sends an army after them. Talk about being between a rock and a hard place. Is this a cruel joke? And what Moses had to learn was that in, the, in this pruning moment, God was cutting away any dependence on human effort from Moses and the people. I mean, they may have gotten it already. Moses may have gotten it back in the burning bush, but he sent them to death. But this isn't his deliverance. It's God. And the only way they would be free now was by an act of God's power. And that's what happened. God blocked the path for the army with a pillar of fire, and he parted the waters of the sea in front of them to cross on dry ground. So that pruning moment yielded an incredible fruit for the people of God. And God alone was glorified. Once again, Moses had to learn, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's the purpose for the pruning. Cut away our pride, our false idols, our false selves, and drive us to a closer dependence on the true vine. That is the power of the pruning to prepare us for greater fruit. And when a people of grace are renewed by pruning, we're positioned to better serve our community and our world. My wife underwent deep suffering early in our marriage, not physical. And and she struggled to understand why God would let her go through that. And at that time, there was no support. And yet God used those hard times soften her heart for other women who suffer similar Her pruning was not how she would have liked to have been pruned, I guarantee you. But what
what others meant for evil. God intended for We never have a say to how God works with us. He chooses the tools and the timing. The one thing is certain. He always chooses the right tools and just the right time prepare you to be a channel of His grace to others. He always chooses the right tools at the right time. And you may not like those tools. And every renewing tool we have is designed to renew people in They are all aimed at driving you closer to God. Don't think that pruning is a one-time event. It's an ongoing process. Renewal is ongoing. You, you, you get pruned, fruit happens, God prunes you more. More fruit happens, God prunes you more. And the more we and the more we grow in our intimacy with Jesus, the more he's going to prune you. It's not that we didn't get it, but that we're not done growing. Now, people may be clean at once, but that doesn't mean we're mature. We desire to be a people of grace renewed. Let me just end with this call to renewal. That's the goal that calls us to deepen our commitment to Jesus as the source of our life, to deepen our commitment to the Word of God, and to deepen, open ourselves up to the loving pruning of the Heavenly Father. And I want to call all of us to consider following Jesus more passionately than before. I'm not asking you to serve more. And I'm not asking you to do more. And I'm not asking you to sign up for anything. I'm asking you to cry out to God to ignite in you a passion for more of Him. Okay? Let's just start there. I'm asking you to cry out to God to ignite in you a passion for more of Him. It's very easy to go through the motions of churchianity and lack the power that comes from intimacy with Christ. It's easy to say we believe the Bible is God's good news, but we don't know the story well enough to affect our passion. It's tempting to see failures and setbacks and think something's wrong when God is positioning you for greater growth. What's before us is a community radius, the mission field where our missionaries are out and about, your work, your school, your friends, your relationships. Everyone there needs healing fruit. They need the word of Christ. They need of the grace of Jesus Christ. They need to know his love. They are in need, they, they are in need of a people who know that grace, who live that grace, who exude that grace, who are smiling about that. we allow the Spirit to renew us in, in the Bible, to renew us in the Word, to renew us in the We need the vine, we need the Word, we need the blaze. And God has brought you to a spiritual desert to heighten your thirst for Jesus. And what we need is the renewing grace of the Spirit. We too are in need of healing. 
And we have to begin in our renewal by abiding in Jesus' love. Whatever we do should flow naturally from our confidence that God likes us because of Jesus only. It's a remarkable thing. And that's not a doctrinal ascent, you know. It's where we have to be at home. Let me say that again. It's not just saying, yes, I believe I'm saved by grace alone. Are you home yet? Otherwise, all our efforts will be no more than plastic fruit on dead hands. The gospel, let me tell you this way. The gospel was never, 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 never just about getting saved. It's about knowing more and more how much Jesus likes you and living in that likeness. It's about never getting familiar with God's scandalous love for you. Oh, I know about the love of God. Good. Good luck. Get ready, because you're about to find out more about how much he loves you. We grow in the renewal as a community. We encourage each other to rest in Jesus' love for us. You know what? I'm going to tell you right now. I've been talking to Jesus, and you know what he's helped me? He says, Lord, I love new life. People are awesome. I just love what I'm doing in this community. We grow as we learn to embrace one another's pruning as our own. You know? I love, he loves you guys, and I gotta, when you're being pruned, I gotta feel that myself. I gotta know, hey, you're being pruned, I'm being pruned. We grow in renewal as we lean into Jesus, trusting that with him we can, we can become so much more than we dream. We grow as we allow in his, his word and grace to sink deeply into our life as a church, in our worship, in our service, in our conversation. Renewal begins with God taking our identity as a people of grace and driving that home in every area of your life. Our maturity into our identity doesn't just happen. It's part of Provide the opportunity to believe the word more, trust his love more. And the world needs proof that we are his disciples. The proof is in our fruit. And the first manifestation of that proof is love for God. In our passion for each other, for Jesus, for the word, and for Jesus. And when they see that, they will be able to say, look how they love one another. Look at how they love us. These must be followers of Jesus. You know what? If people say that about you, that's fruit of Jesus. Father, we just thank you that you are a God who does not leave us where we are. And I wish sometimes you would in my sinfulness. But I'm grateful that you don't listen to me. I'm grateful that you are more interested in producing in me uh, more of Jesus and less of me. And so, Father, would you prune us as a church together? Would you remind us of the opportunities? Give us a passion for your word. Lord, when we're tempted to do something else and where we haven't been in your word, would you just ignite in us a hunger for that Bible? We just want to know you. We want to hear your voice. Draw us closer. Lord, we know you like us. 
Stand and worship the vine dresser. Let us worship the vine and spirit and truth. 